0: Hello everyone, welcome into another Tuesday edition of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. Uh, I do not have a guest host, remarkably, this week. I will be rolling solo for this Tuesday edition. Today we're going to be recapping some of the biggest games that happened in college football and the NFL, as well as then giving a little bit of a preview of the Masters that is being played this week into this weekend. As everyone likes to say, the Masters on CBS. So, here we go. We're going to go jump right in here. The biggest storyline of this weekend. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish defeating Clemson, number one Clemson 47-40 to in double overtime. The game was an all-time classic. The Irish uh, maintained a relatively decent lead going throughout. We had a 23-10 to lead at the half. And then as Clemson did the previous week against Boston College, they came out storms a blazing in the second half. Ended up taking the lead, going into the end of the fourth quarter, leading 40 to 33, and then a not excuse me not 40 to 33, 33 to 26. That was overtime. I apologize. 33 to 26 with three and a half minutes remaining. Then Ian Book ended up having that signature drive that we were all, we were all questioning whether he could produce that, taking the Irish down with in under a minute. And to score with 22 seconds left with a four-yard touchdown pass to Avery Davis to force overtime. Then in overtime, Clemson started out with the ball. Uh, I, mean, I can't really pronounce his name. I'm going to botch it. I apologize. DJ Ugalelele, uh scored uh, with a rushing touchdown. And then Kyron Williams uh, scored his second touchdown of the game to score, uh, take the tie and forced second overtime with a 40 apiece. And Kyra Williams again scored in double overtime to take the 47 to 40 lead as Notre Dame had the ball first, and then that Notre Dame defense finally made those critical plays late in the game, getting back-to-back sacks on first and second down, forcing a third and really long, and then which ended up being an incomplete pass, and then on fourth down, which I thought was relatively interesting there, how the Clemson did not take a shot to actually throw the ball to the first down; they threw it halfway to the. Halfway on a fourth and 23, and then they started the laterals, and then the game was over. Again, we cannot take this uh, win for granted, especially for Notre Dame. They did end up finally beating a top-five opponent, which was the first time that Brian Kelly has done that in his tenure. Secondly, though, a critical issue was that, again, as we mentioned before on this podcast last week, Trevor Lawrence was unavailable. It was a in- interesting component to see. Clemson also did also have three players out on defense, which could have also played a significant role in how this game was swung. Again, it was a Notre Dame home game under the lights in South Bend. Notre Dame needed to find a way to win that game if they wanted any chance to compete and have a chance to still make the college football playoff, and that is what they did. Personally, as I am a Notre Dame fan, and I was on the edge of my seat throughout. But the interesting part was that I. I was begging them to go for two twice in that uh, in that game, especially when Avery Davis scored to tie it at thirty thirty when they were down, to tie the game at thirty three. I thought they should have went for two there and try to win the game. I personally felt like that they needed to just make a stand because I thought if it got to overtime, it was advantage Clemson, no doubt in my mind. Especially when the college football rules in overtime, you start your opponent's twenty five yard line, and Notre Dame's red zone offense had been a struggle all, all season and I thought that would be a critical component leading into the overtime and then again when they tied it up in overtime to force the double overtime I thought they should have went for two again there I felt like the opportunity to end the game in your quarterback's hands was the best way to go unfortunately I was wrong I'll take the I'll take the blame for that and I was relatively impressed with how the Notre Dame team rose up to the occasion in that second overtime especially defensively and I have nothing to say that other than that uh, freshman quarterback, DJ. You know, I'm, I'm going to call him DJU. That's what many people have been calling him because it's a struggle to pronounce his name. was absolutely phenomenal. He was 29-44, 439 yards, two touchdowns. He also had a rushing touchdown. The kid was absolutely sensational. What, is there a potential that I feel like if Trevor Lawrence played, they win that game relatively easily? I I think so. Many have argued that uh, they put up 40 points. I don't think Trevor Lawrence could have done better than that, but I feel like him being in the lineup is a more of a motivating factor to get ETN going, to get that whole team flowing in the correct direction. And I feel like that them falling behind in those last two games, especially Notre Dame and Boston College, was relatively because he was not on the field to motivate his teammates and to be out there as, a, as the leader to make an impact. As for Ian Book, he had relative, he had quality numbers, 22 of 39, 310 yards, one touchdown, but the one component that of his game that was critical was him to evade the pressure and to extend plays with his legs. Him rushing the football ended up making critical plays to make those third and shorts or to convert a first down, help Notre Dame drives be successful, and Kyron Williams was nothing short of spectacular. 23 carries, 140 yards, 3 touchdowns. I know one of them was that 65-yard run to start the game, which was relatively half of his yards right there on that one play alone, but they were still confident to rely on the run game and to force Clemson to think run and not just pass. So all in all, Notre Dame was sensational. Clemson, this does not mean anything for them. They only dropped a 4 in the AP poll. Notre Dame moved up to number 2 in the country. This is a collision course that's still on going for them to play again in the ACC Championship, and Clemson will be healthy, so it'll be a completely different task for the Irish to try and see if they can handle Trevor Lawrence in that Clemson offense while they're fully healthy. But, and anyway, I gotta say for now, kudos to Notre Dame. They handled business. They made the plays when they needed to. And secondly, I feel like it's a critical component for the Irish. They need to stay focused. They're this is very reminiscent of 1993 when they beat uh, number one Florida State against uh, the Heisman Trophy winner, Charlie Ward, at quarterback. And then they ended up going, having to play Boston College that next week, and then they ended up losing. Guess who's on their schedule this week? They're at Boston College. So definitely a upset alert this week for the Irish. They need to be able to handle their business. And again, Boston College nearly upset Clemson. Last week, before they uh, Notre, Clemson had to take on Notre Dame. So, again, Notre Dame on upset alert. They can easily handle their business. I do expect Clemson and Notre Dame to play each other again in the future. The other significant game that happened in college football were the Florida Gators and the Georgia Bulldogs, basically to try and take control in the SEC East. And what I saw was, more, more than anything, was how uh, Florida was able to respond. Florida was down massive early to the bulldogs and then they ended up tearing it up second quarter on they were absolutely dominant excuse me not not second yeah second quarter on they were dominant they ended up trailing 14 to 0 early and then that offense started humming they outscored georgia 44 to 28 now excuse me not 44 28 44 to 14 the rest of the game Kyle Trask, as always, was sensational, 30-43, to 43, 474 yards, four touchdowns, and only one INT, which ended up being a pick six, which ended up being one of uh, Georgia's uh, 14 points in that relatively, which was given to them. So relatively on offense, they only scored seven points after that 14 points in the first three minutes relatively of the game. It was really interesting to see, and I've been ho- – raving about this the Georgia quarterback situation is a mess and they still stuck with Stetson Bennett, he was awful, 5 of 16 78 yards, 1 touchdown an INT, he was not good whatsoever and it was relatively sick and then you transition to going back to Mathis, who was the week 1 starter Dewan Mathis, and he was even worse he had 1 touchdown, 2 interceptions it was just a tragedy to see I thought JT Daniels would be would be accustomed to the offense by now, and he would be willing to take in step into that role and play this weekend if they need be, and he didn't, which I thought was shocking. Which is more yielding to me that he is not as ready as I thought he would be. The kid has all the arm talent. I thought he was the presumptive starter after Jamie Newman went uh, decided not to, decided to opt out, excuse me, due to COVID nineteen. But all in all, it wasn't very great. Great. Great statement win from the Florida Gators. First time in four years that they were able to beat Georgia. And that was a very strong tenure that they have to show. The rest of their schedule is relatively mediocre, to say the least. You play Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU. They're definitely on a collision course to play Alabama in the SEC Championship. And they're right in that running again in the college football playoff if they are able to upset Alabama in the SEC Championship. Very relatively simple. You ha- that college football playoff field definitely got in uh, a larger pool now after these two weekends' upsets with Florida winning and Notre Dame winning. Now your pool jumps from probably four to six teams to probably now the six to eight teams. So it definitely relatively keeps uh, a non-Power 5 team out of it at the moment, like a Cincinnati or a BYU, which is unfortunate, which we thought we would they would potentially have an opportunity, especially if Clemson and Georgia held serve. Uh, ultimately, it didn't work out that way. So now there's more teams involved, and it's going to be more of a challenge for the non-power five teams to get in. Well, now let's transition to the NFL. NFL, which was a very interesting weekend to say the least. Let's just go straight to Sunday Night Football. The absolute beat down, beat down that the New Orleans Saints put on the Tampa Bay Bucs Sunday night in prime time on national television on NBC. They ended up storming out of the gate. Up 31, was it 31-0? I'm assuming it was, I, I'm trying to remember correctly. It was The game ended up being 38-3, to but the Saints had mailed it in on the second half. The game was already in question, not in question, excuse me. I believe they were up 31-0 at the break, which is, abs- yes 31-0 at the break, and then they outscored seven 7-3 in the second half. It was ridiculous. Tom Brady was absolutely horrid. 209 yards, three ints. Drew Brees basically didn't even have to do anything. He threw four touchdown passes, but he only threw for 220 yards. Taysom Hill's your leading rusher, so Alvin Kamara didn't do much in the uh, rushing game. It was the Bucks. We had all raved about the Bucks this week, and the Saints put them in their place, reminding them, "Hey, we're still the team in the beat to beat in the NFC South." So don't even question it. Don't even put us in that same. Uh, uh, same pool uh, as them because we're clearly the better opponent, a better team, excuse me and they are still a work in progress and we all knew that Tampa Bay was a work in progress I, I didn't think they were going to be able to peak till late in the year when they had finally figured it out. This was the first game where they had everyone available on their roster um, to play. You saw the discombobulation on the offense side of the ball. Brady didn't play well. The defense didn't help in any other way either. Teams busted coverages. Their Saints receivers were wide open all over the field, so it was definitely a statement by the, that the New Orleans Saints said, "Hey, don't forget about us. We're easily a Super Bowl contender in this NFC that includes the Seahawks, uh, Packers, Bucks. Uh, now the Saints need to be included in that conversation. They were that good, so absolute beatdown. All props to the New Orleans Saints. They showed up, and Tampa Bay didn't show up at all. So." Who knows? Definitely needs to see a, a rebound from Tampa Bay. I know they probably will, especially when Tom Brady, after a loss, they usually his teams usually come out with a sense of urgency and they usually play some their best football that next week. So expect the Tampa Bay to get it back on track. This is still early in the season, but definitely a statement that the Saints went 2-0 against the Tampa Bay Bucks this year. The other game, an absolute thriller that happened in Buffalo. Buffalo Bills put up 44 points to beat Seattle Seahawks 44 to 34. Game was an offensive uh, juggernaut. Josh Allen finally showed up again after struggling for the past two or three weeks, uh, and after being in that MVP conversation, he definitely put himself back into that pool. Going 31 of 38, 415 yards, three touchdowns. I got to give all the props to Brian Dable. He's gonna listen. That guy's gonna be a head coach very soon, potentially, probably next year. Ryan Dable is a name that you need to be looking out for along with Eric Bieniemy. Offensive mind is special. His mind is offensive mind is special. Definitely special. Look out for him. He called an offensive game plan that was perfect. He knows Seattle couldn't play can't play defense can't play defense whatsoever. So I'm pretty sure on every first down he was throwing the ball if I remember from watching that game. Russell Wilson, he was that's how Seattle plays at the moment. Their defense does not have it. Jamal Adams did return in this game, but he's still recovering from injury. But Russell Wilson has to be perfect for the Seattle Seahawks to win games, and every game is a shootout, whether he likes it or not. And that's what he wanted. He wanted the keys to the, keys to the car. He wanted to have the full offense in effect, and he's putting up ridiculous numbers. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out for him this week. He went 28 of 41, 392 touchdowns, two NTS. But You have to also remember he had also had two fumbles. He had four turnovers on him alone, which probably ended up being the difference of the game because that's easily 21, 17 points that the Bills had. The game felt like it should have been a lot uh, more of a blowout than it really was. Wilson was able to keep the, his team in it throughout, but still, Buffalo made a statement. That they're probably, arguably, the best team that could match up against the Kansas City Chiefs. And they were competitive against the Chiefs when they matched up earlier in the year in a rainy game up in, out in Buffalo. But still, definitely showcasing that they're the second best team in the AFC, in my opinion. You can always also make the argument for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was not impressed with them whatsoever, though. barely squeaking by the Dallas Cow- Cowboys, who went to their fourth-string quarterback uh, this past weekend. So... There's an argument there for the Buffalo Bills to be the second best team in the AFC and the best chance to beat the, the Kansas City Chiefs. So, all in all, those two were de- relatively competitive there. It was definitely an interesting sight to see. It was great to see football. Great to see some quality football that was being played, mostly this weekend, especially in the top three games of the uh, season, other than the Saints-Bucks game, which was extremely disappointing on the Bucks side. And on the, all the fans' sides, the fans were, wanted that game up to be an absolute shootout and it turned out to be an absolute blowout. Very disappointing by Tampa Bay again. But again, I just want to remind you all, I went 6 and 0 this weekend. I won you guys some money if you guys were watching my Lock it in picks. 6 and 0 I went, all right? 6 and 0. Remember, Friday, 6 and 0. I went 6 and 0. Remember, I did struggle. I went 4 and 2 week 1, 2 and 4 week 2, and then 6 and 0 in week 3. So, I'm Hopefully I can maintain that momentum for you guys on Friday when you guys get my lock it in picks. Remember to always watch out for them. But let's transition here to the story that I feel like is of the weekend, which is the Masters. I remember, Augusta National uh, at Augusta National will be happening this week. I've been seeing pictures. Fall at Augusta might be one of the coolest things ever. And I've, if I'm the committee, the chairman, at Augusta, I'm considering potentially doing an alternating year. You, you could do April one year and then November the next year back to April because this is a beautiful sight to see the fall. And the course will play completely different. They said the course is playing extremely longer than it has ever uh, at Augusta National. It's supposed to rain a little bit this week as well. It was also with the cooler temperatures makes the ball uh, not travel as far. So it's going to be unique to see who are going to be the ones that are contending as well as who will be pretending this week at at Augusta National. So, of course, it always starts and ends with Tiger Woods, who was the the defending champion a a year and a half ago now. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. He has not had form whatsoever going into this tournament. He played Zozo a couple weeks back. He only finished – it was a no-cut event, and he only finished above four players. So, his game is not in relative form, but you have to also understand. As well as he missed the cut at the U.S. Open uh, earlier in September, so you also have to factor in here that he's only playing at the amount that his body is allowing. And of course, he's arguably the best golfer that's ever lived, and the best golf, uh, best, go- especially the best golfer in our generation at the moment. So you can always potentially see Augusta's always going to be his best chance to contend in a major and potentially win. Uh, it's either going to be that or the Open Championship. Uh, So, Augusta will always be his opportunity to win, but he needs to catch lightning in a bottle. And it all comes down to his driver and his putter, as everyone has mentioned in recent years with him. And the one thing that he's not having is form. He had form going into the Masters in 2019. He contended at 2018 in Carnoustie. He had the lead on Sunday. 2018 PGA Championship, he was trying to run down Brooks, ended up finishing second there. And again, he won the Tour Championship in 2018 leading in. Then he was showing form in 2019 going in at the match play as well as the Arnold Palmer. He was showing signs going into the Masters. And he hasn't played enough to be able to, especially part of that is due to COVID, which is understandable. But he's also, his body is only limiting to how much he can play. So it's going to be very interesting to see. He's always been arguably the greatest iron player ever. So you know his irons. He'll have stretches Of where he will be playing some great golf. But it will be definitely a potential area to see whether or not he'll be able to handle himself in these various areas. Especially with his putter on these uh, Augusta greens as well as his driver. It's not just him. He can't be afraid to hit his driver. which Which he wasn't in 2019 when he won a year and a half ago. He wasn't afraid to hit the driver. He wasn't steering away from it by hitting three wood every time. He was unleashing it, so he needs to be able to show the confidence that he can hit the driver, and if he does that, you never know. Lightning in a bottle can happen for me. He'll make the cut. He's never missed a cut at Augusta as a professional, so that's not in question. But I definitely uh, want to see whether or not he will be able to contend. I highly doubt it. He'll probably. I, if I had to put a number on it, I'd say a top 25 finish is a. Uh, is a solid outing for him this year, especially as a defending champion, but also as one who hasn't played played a lot, and he doesn't and his game, doesn't look like it's in any type of form. So, who are but now I'm going to give you my top three picks that I would uh, try and take this week, is then who is the one I'm probably leaning towards. So, let's start at number three. Uh, Probably more of a dark horse, but I love his game. Louis Oosthuizen, he was the runner-up in 2012. He finished 3rd this year at Wingfoot. He has that he is probably one of the most beautiful golf swings and fundamentally sound golf swings I've ever seen and watched. It's fluid and for him, it's all comes down to his putter. he can putt, you never know with him and he's been he's a you might as well lock. He's a, usually a shoe-in after winning after being a, the Open champion, especially in the 2010s as a as one who's going to be in the top 10. Of every major that he competes in, he's always right there. At least two of the out of two out of the four majors with a top ten finish and having a chance on Saturday or Sunday. So look out for him, Louis Oosthuyzen, potentially a late push uh, on going through the weekend. Then I'm gonna transition to number two, Xander Schauffele. He was actually my pick for the U.S. Open. Unfortunately, he came up a little bit short. But he, his form is solid right now. He finished second at the Tour Championship. He finished fifth at the U.S. Open. Uh, he, was ty- he was finished T second last year behind Tiger Woods, one shot behind. I think it's going to be a critical component for him. He's only played the Masters twice, and he's been very competitive. And especially last year, he ha- shot over par on the first day. And he, he the next three rounds, he was absolutely sensational. So he definitely has a feel for this golf course, and he's got a great chance. Of being able to pull out his first major victory. But lastly, my favorite, he's also going to be a first time major champion if he wins, and it's John Rahm. John Rahm has been absolutely, arguably, since the restart, the best player in form. He's a two time winner after winning the Memorial as well as the BMW Championship. And it's all gonna—he's got a fire in him. It's all gonna be whether or not he can control his emotions. I'm being completely honest. The past two years in the Masters, he's finished in the top ten, so he's had a—he's been right there in contention to have a chance to win on Sunday. So expect John Rahm to be right there. And if he can control his emotions, he's got a great chance of being able to win this championship. And he is my pick for the Masters. I got my Masters hat on right here. So I love Masters Week. It's probably my favorite week of the year especially in the game of golf it's my favorite championship it's just there's nothing like it I can't explain it but there's really just nothing like it that is the masters so again my three picks I have John Rahm who's going to be my who is my favorite going down to Xander Shoffley then as a dark horse Louis Oosthuizen look out for those three names this week lastly let's transition you know Thursday night football I always provide my Thursday night football pick And this week, I'm not going to do anything different. We have the Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans this week. As we mentioned, the Titans ended up uh, winning this past weekend, uh, defeating... Excuse me, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head here. They beat the Chicago Bears 24-17. The game wasn't really in question. Chicago scored a couple late touchdowns. And then Indianapolis ended up losing 24-10 to the Baltimore Ravens at home. So here the line is at minus 2. If I had to take a pick, I think this is a stronghold game for Tennessee at home, especially on a short week. The home teams always usually have an advantage there. And I, I just don't trust Phillip Rivers. He hasn't shown me anything that I should be excited about or be excited about for the future for me. So Tennessee minus two. I love the Titans. I love Ryan Tannehill and how the way he's been playing for this organization since he became the starter last year to replace Marcus Mariota. And you know how the Tennessee Titans go. It goes through Derrick Henry and that freight train that he is. So expect a huge game from Derrick Henry. I would definitely take him over 100 yards this week. He's gonna; They're just going to run it down Indianapolis' throat as well. That's what Baltimore did last week. They did not really throw the ball, and their run game was very solid against that de- very solid Colts defense, but they were unable to handle the Baltimore rushing attack, and Derrick Henry's on a whole nother level. So... The man is a Heisman Trophy runner for a reason and, a, and an outside chance of winning the MVP. With, uh, that is Derrick Henry. So expect a big game from him. I think he's going to at least rush for 120 yards and probably two scores. So expect a big day from Derrick Henry. I think he's going to be the difference, especially uh, on how everything's going to pan out this weekend on Thursday Night Football. If I had to make a score, I like the Tennessee Titans 27-20. to 20. So again... That's, an, that's it for uh, this uh, relatively shorter edition of Final Whistle. But again, we had some great football that was that happened this past weekend with Notre Dame and Florida upsetting Georgia and Clemson as well as at the Buffalo Bills upsetting the C- Seattle Seahawks. It was an upset weekend. And then the New Orleans State's upsetting the Tampa Bay Bucks, and they just absolutely demolished. Upset, it was an upset weekend in football as well as then it's Masters Week, and there's nothing like it. I, I'm going to keep reiterating that. It's going to be a great experience for everyone to watch a November Masters. And, again, I'm calling out the chairman. I, I would love to see a November Masters every other year, maybe a little flip-flop. You do April one year, November the next year. I know it's going to be a little bit more difficult to try and handle having a November than an April Masters, but I know these guys – That golf course is in pristine condition, and it's in a class of its own. So I think they'll be able to handle that no problem. And again, lastly, my Thursday night football pick. Here we go. We have Tennessee minus 2. Take the Titans minus 2 at home. Well, that's it for another edition of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. Have a good day, everyone. Look for me on Friday.